Well, as I did last week and as I'm going to do for the rest of the year, today's sermon will be taken from the readings that we did throughout this week together. Our primary text will be from the book of Acts because we did all of our reading from the book of Acts this week. I'll be in the 12th chapter of Acts. I'll begin reading with the first verse. And in this reading, we're going to see that the Apostle Peter is the central human character in today's action. So let's go ahead and turn there, read together Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And after arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with two chains, and sentry stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. The angel struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. The angel said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And that's what Peter did. And Peter followed him out of the prison. But Peter had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And it opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her, when she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, Jesus' brother, and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. I love that story. There is so much going on in that story. This story has it all. There's good guys and there's bad guys. There's darkness and danger and there's goodness and light. There's drama. There's tragedy. There's comedy. It's all in this one story. In fact, there's so much going on in this story that sometimes it makes it difficult to know which thread of this story we should really be focused on. 
This is one of those Bible stories where it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to start chasing squirrels and lose sight of what the central lesson really is in this story. Chasing squirrels. You know what it's like to lose focus and start chasing squirrels, don't you? Here's a clip from the movie Up that describes it perfectly. This is the bird's favorite hole. Under no circumstances are you permitted to... Squirrel! Ever leave this hole. Yep, that's me. Easily distracted. Maybe you have some of those moments. I have those moments all of the time. Sometimes when I'm reading, I get distracted. Sometimes when I'm watching a show, I get distracted. Sometimes when I'm listening to a sermon... Something distracts me. Sometimes when Kathy's talking to me, occasionally, very rarely, I get distracted. It's some kind of squirrel and off I go. And this story has lots of squirrels. So I decided that this morning, rather than trying to ignore the squirrels, we're actually going to chase a few of those squirrels and then really focus on the central lesson. So one of the squirrels in this story is the comedy In this story. I mean, this story is genuinely funny, isn't it? I mean, I think it's really funny how the angel treats Peter like he's a child. It's like, Peter, wake up. Peter, put on your clothes. Peter, follow me. It reminds me of just a couple of weeks ago, my four-year-old grandson James was here for the balloon fiesta, and we had to wake him up at 5 a.m., and I talked to James like the angel talked to Peter. It's like, James, wake up. James, take off your pajamas. James, take off your your shoes. James, put on your clothes. James, walk out the door. James, start moving. I'm convinced that James was halfway to the park in the bus before he realized that it wasn't a dream. It wasn't a vision. This was really happening. And how about when Peter gets to Mary's house? It's genuinely funny, isn't it? Peter has just escaped from prison. He's made it through chains. He's made it through bars. He's gone through the guards. He's gotten out. The gate opened for him itself. And then when he gets to the gate of a friend's house, what happens? Well, he can't get in. He can't get past Rhoda, the servant girl that's at the gate. And inside there's this debate that's going on. Is it really Peter? Maybe it's his angel. We don't know what's going on. Peter's standing outside, still knocking at the door. It's genuinely funny. It's funny stuff, but in this story, it's just a squirrel. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, we might be tempted to immediately chase the tragic squirrel. I mean, how about poor James? Why was he put to death? Why didn't God rescue him? Why wasn't there an angel sent for James? If Peter can be rescued, why not James? And if you're like me, that leads you to chase other squirrels, like, why me? Why did God rescue me and not rescue them? Or maybe it's, why not me? Why were their prayers answered, but not mine? And those are legitimate questions to consider. But that's not the central point of this story. They're also squirrels. Or maybe you're tempted to chase the squirrel of this character change that happens. 
You see, up to this point in Acts, there's no question who the protagonist is. Peter has been the central human character so far in the book of Acts. It's Peter who preaches at Pentecost. It's Peter who heals the beggar. It's Peter who speaks to the crowds. It's Peter who answers the Sanhedrin. It's Peter who confronts Ananias and Sapphira. It's Peter who has a vision. It's Peter who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. It's been Peter, Peter, Peter. And then this story happens, and this is really the last hurrah for Peter in the book of Acts. With this story, Peter exits stage left, and Paul enters stage right. Paul is going to be the protagonist of the story of Acts from here on. And once again, we can be wondering why that's the case. And that's a legitimate question. But for this story, it's just another squirrel. It's not the central point. So what is the central point? Well, I believe that the central point of this story can be found by listening to the echoes that we hear in this story. Echoes that come from a previous story. Echoes that come from the story of the scene of Peter's greatest failure. And it's when the echoes of that earlier story remind us of where Peter once was. When those echoes remind us of what Peter once did. When they remind us of how Peter publicly and spectacularly failed It's when the echoes of that previous story wake us up to what God has done for Peter. It's then that we discover the central point of this story. And the central point of this story is that our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances. You remember the previous scene, right? Jesus has eaten the Passover meal with Peter and with the other apostles. It's just before Jesus is arrested. And at that meal, as they're reclining at the table, Peter boldly declared to Jesus, we're in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. Peter boldly declares to Jesus, he says, Lord, I am ready. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. To which Jesus replied, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And soon Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. He's taken away to the house of the high priest. And Peter, Peter, the one who said he was ready ready to join Jesus in prison and in death. Peter follows along at a distance. And then he joins this group that's huddled around a fire in the high priest's courtyard. And in verse 56, we read that a servant girl saw Peter. He was seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him, and she said, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. And then a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. 
And then about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And then just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. That's quite a story too, isn't it? And I have to admit, I'm not nearly as fond of this story as I am of the other story. There's no humor in this story. There's only tragedy. There's only human weakness. There's only heartbreak. I don't know him. I am not. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the rooster crows. And Jesus turns and looks at him and Peter weeps bitterly. And the echoes from that story follow Peter all the way to prison. The darkness and danger. Peter being arrested and held during Passover just as Jesus was. Peter once again encountering a servant girl who is sure she knows who he is even when other voices say he is not. Those echoes follow Peter. And not all the echoes are unpleasant. There are hopeful echoes as well. Hopeful echoes because both stories ultimately and miraculously end in joy and in disbelief. You see, just as the grave didn't hold Jesus, the prison couldn't hold Peter. When Jesus appeared to his disciples in Luke chapter 24, verse 37, we read that they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said that, he showed them his hands and feet. And they still did not believe because of their joy. Because of their amazement. See, at first, the disciples couldn't really believe that Jesus was there because it was news that was just too good to be true. And that kind of joyous news, that seemingly too good to be news true, too good to be true news, that's what I was trying to say. The echoes of that echo forward to Peter as he's standing there at Mary's gate. Remember how it went? Peter knocked at the outer entrance. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And how did the disciples respond? You're out of your mind, they told her, when she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be his angel But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished because it was too good to be true. 
So as I'm reading this story, I have to ask why. Why in this story of Peter escaping from prison, why are all of these echoes from the scene of Peter's greatest failing coming through to this story? And I think one reason why Luke includes all of these echoes is because he doesn't want us to spend too much time chasing all of those squirrels. You see, Luke wants us to remember the previous scene. And he wants us to recognize that this is a different Peter. This isn't the same, I don't know him, Peter. This isn't the same, I am not Peter. This isn't the same, I don't know what you're talking about, Peter. This isn't the same, bitterly weeping, Peter. Now, this Peter is a changed man. And he's victorious in this situation that echoes the scene of his greatest failure. So why is that? What has changed for Peter? What has changed Peter? Well, a lot's happened to Peter. A lot's happened since he told that other servant girl, I do not know him. One thing that's happened is Jesus has looked at Peter And with that look, Peter recognized the enormity of his failure. He recognized the magnitude of his betrayal. And so remorse has happened. Repentance has happened. Remorse and repentance have happened since Peter said, I don't know him. Remorse and repentance evidenced by that bitter weeping. And forgiveness has happened. Forgiveness has happened since Peter said, I don't know him. You see, Peter denied Jesus, but Jesus didn't deny Peter's need for forgiveness. When Peter turned back to Jesus, Jesus didn't turn away from Peter. So grace and restoration has happened since Peter said, I don't know him. Repentance, forgiveness, grace, and restoration. That's the story of Peter now. But you know, there's something else that's happened. It's something I think we often overlook. Certainly something that I had overlooked in the story of Peter until last Thursday when I read Jesus say this to Peter at that same Last Supper as they were reclined at the table. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Jesus looked at Peter and said this. He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as, a, as wheat. And he says, but I have prayed for you, Peter. Prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. I find that remarkable. About to be betrayed, about to be arrested, about to be tortured, about to be crucified, in the midst of all of that, Jesus is already interceding with God on Peter's behalf. He's already praying for God's grace and restoration for Peter. 
You see, Jesus knows Peter's going to fail. And even before the failure, Jesus is asking God for Peter's restoration. And as I was reading that, my first thought was, well, if the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, and James tells us that they are powerful and effective, if the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, then who better to pray for you than Jesus, right? I mean, wouldn't it be great to have Jesus praying for me? Wouldn't you like to have Jesus pray for you like he prayed for Peter? Wouldn't you like to have Jesus intercede on your behalf? To seek your restoration before you even failed? Who wouldn't want that? And then it occurred to me that Jesus has done that. And Jesus is doing that. And Jesus will continue to do that for you and for me. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8. He said, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So there's something I want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus doesn't pray intercessory prayers to God for you like he did for Peter. No, actually he does something better. Now, Jesus is with God. He's at the right hand of God, and he is constantly interceding for you. Jesus is with God, and he's constantly seeking your restoration, even before you fail. So what does that mean for us? Well, that means that Peter's story can be your story. Peter's story can be your story. You know, Peter's one of those Bible characters that most of us just really readily identify with, right? I mean, we identify with him because it's easy to relate to Peter. I think we relate to Peter because Peter reminds us of ourselves. Like Peter, we're often impulsive. Like Peter, we often speak before we've really thought things through. Like Peter, we often make promises that we're really not able to keep. Like Peter, our impulsiveness also often leads to failure. I mean, Peter jumped at the chance to walk on water, right? And then he sank. Peter jumped to Jesus' defense and then he pretended like he didn't know him. Peter reminds us of ourselves. And I think we we really relate to and admire Peter's honesty, his bold honesty. I think we'd like to have the courage and honesty that it took to stand in front of a crowd of Jews and tell them to their face that they had just crucified the Messiah. And we'd also like to have the compassion and the honesty to tell that same crowd that they too could be restored. And we also relate to Peter because we identify with his redemption story. We're people who repeatedly fail. Who repeatedly fail our Lord and Master. And as those kind of people, we take comfort in how public, 
how Peter's public and spectacular failure didn't disqualify him. Didn't disqualify him from an important role in God's kingdom. So here's the central point of the story. The central point of the story is that you too can have Peter's story of victory. Peter's story of victory in his second chance, in your second chance. You can have Peter's story of victory in your second chance, even with the echoes ringing from your worst defeat. It can be your story because you too can repent. And like Peter, if you do repent, you will be forgiven. And there will be grace and restoration for you. There'll be grace and restoration for you because Jesus interceded for you. He interceded for you at the cross before you even failed. And Jesus continues to intercede for you now. He's at the right hand of God interceding for you now. So I want you to take these lessons from Peter's story home with you today. Lesson number one. I want you to know that when Jesus restores, he restores completely. I want you to know that like Peter, your failure doesn't relegate you to a secondary spot in God's kingdom. No, when Jesus restores, he restores completely. The second lesson I want you to take home with you is that God used Peter even after his failure and God will use you. God will use you even when, maybe especially when there are echoes ringing of your worst defeat. God will use your relationship failures. He'll use your addiction failures. He'll use your failures of faith. He can and will use your failures to bring his grace and to bring his restoration, not just to you, but also to others. And lesson number three, God can do that and God will do that because your God, our God, Peter's God, is a God of second chances. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray for all those here who are struggling, struggling with failure, struggling with temptations. And Father, we're all struggling with failure and temptations. And Father, my prayer is Jesus' prayer. I pray that our faith will not fail. And I pray that when we have turned back, that we will strengthen our brothers and sisters. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to end with our challenge for the week. Our challenge for this week is, I challenge you to every day this week, pray for, to intercede for, someone that you know is struggling. Struggling with their failure, struggling with their temptation. Intercede in prayer for someone who you know is struggling. Pray as Jesus prayed for Peter. Pray that their faith will not fail and that when they turn back, they'll strengthen all of us. Let's pray those prayers. Let's stand and end in song.